You are listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. I want us to look this morning at verses 8 through 13. Uh, Romans chapter 1, just in, again, the way of outline here, verses 1 through 17 are kind of an introduction or a prologue uh, for us. Um, and, and then uh, the meat of the letter will follow that. But verses 8 through 13 are very personal uh, intensely kind of personal words. I think it's a great reminder to us at the beginning that when, even though Romans is a book that's kind of known for being full of doctrine and theology, uh, that it is, in fact, a letter that was written, a very personal letter uh, from the Apostle Paul to uh, believers in, in Rome, and so we should expect that it would have a, a personal touch uh, to it. And uh, we also need to remember that, I, at least I find it very interesting that Paul, to our knowledge, had never been to Rome uh, at this point. So he's writing to people he doesn't know. And if you turn to chapter 16, at the end, you'll see a great list of all of these personal names of people that he, he, he mentions there. And uh, again, people that he was praying for, that he had heard about, uh, perhaps with correspondence, uh, but that he'd never met uh, personally. And so I think part of the personal touch here in verses 8 through, 8 through 13 is to help build kind of a relational connection with, with these, uh, these folks, to share a bit of his heart with them. And that's what we see here in our passage. Romans 1 verse 8, Paul writes, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Father, please help us now as we look to your word, the power of your spirit that lives in us. Lord, grant us understanding and, and apply these things, Lord, to our lives, that we might be transformed and built, as we just sang, as your church, to be your people that would bring honor and glory to your name. And I pray that you would use me today as your servant. I pray that you would increase and I would decrease, and your word would go forth. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So what are we to do with a passage like this? When you come to your uh, Bible readings during the week, and I trust that you are doing that. And when you come to a, a passage like this, uh, how do you approach uh, something like, like, like with this nature? I mean, we might be tempted to think that this is because this is the personal part of Paul's letter here, that it really doesn't have that much uh, meaning for us today. Uh, after all, Paul is speaking here about his uh, ministry and about his plans that, you know, this happened, you know, 2,000 years ago or so, uh, long past. This probably doesn't have any information or, or application for us today. Uh, you could say that there's really no great doctrine taught in these verses. I didn't 
uh, find any particular thing that he was trying to emphasize. There's no commands that are given. Uh, there's no calls to obey. Uh, Paul is, is just expressing how he feels. He's expressing some personal testimony, uh, his uh, ministry plans, and, and so forth. Well, what does this have to do with us today? I think it's passages like these, though, that, that are helpful to us today. And in fact, that would give us a glimpse into the heart of uh, the Apostle Paul, how he thinks, how he approaches life, how, how the truth that he proclaimed in verses 1 through 7 that we talked about with the, the gospel there, how that truth influenced how he lived his life in verses 8 through 13. That's a huge principle for us uh, to, to think about today. N namely this, that your belief ought to determine how you live. There ought to be something about your, how, what you believe that it affects the way that you live your life. Your belief should determine your practice. These are things that are not to be separated for us. Uh, there's, there's nothing more perhaps unscriptural and, and dangerous than to divorce doctrine from life. And yet, those are the very things that we hear often today. It's common to hear things. People say things like this. Maybe you've heard this before. Um, we really shouldn't be going that deep in God's Word um, because doctrine only divides people. You know, we just need to keep it simple and just keep it all about Jesus. You heard anybody say something like that? Or maybe you've heard somebody say, or maybe you've had these own thoughts. Um, I don't have time to read books, and I don't have time to do a Bible study like this. I'm just a practical person. I mean, just tell me what to do. Uh, friend, how can you live the Christian life if you are not informed by Christian belief? How do you know what to live? Is it not the great outline, even of not just this letter, but many of the letters in the New Testament that the, where Paul lays out for us doctrinal teaching in the first part of his letter and then followed by, here's how this, uh, this should affect your life. Here's how you, this should, you, you should live in light of this. Here in Romans, Romans 1 through 11, largely laid out that way. Lots of doctrine, chapters 1 through 11. You get to the big therefore in chapter 12 and the application that follows. The New Testament, what I'm emphasizing, is the New Testament knows nothing of this doctrine-doesn't-matter business. It's not in there. It's not, about, it's not about New Testament Christianity because it's all about doctrine. The reason for this, again, very important, that if your life and how you live is not the outcome of your doctrine, then it's probably not Christian living that you're living. It's something else, because you can live a very good and moral life, and in fact, you know people, good neighbors, good moral people, without, who aren't Christians. But, but the very essence of Christ following is that your living is directly connected to your doctrine, to what you believe. It flows from it. Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it like this, our every action as Christians should always be in terms of what we believe. We should not really be able to think at all except in terms of these articles of faith 
to which we subscribe and which we most sincerely and profoundly believe. Our belief should determine our doctrine. And Paul illustrates that here with his life. Again, in these verses, uh, verses 8 through 13, he doesn't set out to teach any great doctrine yet. He's, he's going to get into some doctrine, but he's really living out the doctrine. Uh, in, it, he's living out his own doctrine in this text, and he's inviting us to do the same. He's inviting us to, here's a glimpse into his heart. Here's a glimpse into his life and his desires. And it's important because this is how uh, he has been impacted by the gospel. And his hope is, is that we will catch this very vision and heart that he has, and he's been changed by the gospel. So if you glance down through this passage again, you're going to see here Paul actually referring to himself himself an unusual number of times, which is interesting. Paul is, is uh, by nature kind of self-effacing, very Christ-centered, God-honoring, but here he, he's talking about himself in these verses. He's expressing... Uh, his uh, uh, desires, how God's grace, how the gospel has changed him. Notice just a brief, he, he thanks God for them. He prays for them. He keeps saying over and over again in this passage how he wants to come and see them. And he, he just expresses that, I long to see you. He, he longs to get to them so that he can share his faith with them and establish them in, in the gospel. And he even says uh, toward the end, which we'll talk about more next week, but I feel under obligation to do this. I'm eager to preach the gospel to you. And so out of this, he, he, there's things that flow from his life that we see how Christ has changed him. Things that we should think about in our own desires and hearts. First of all, notice uh, his spiritual focus. His spiritual focus. That's the first thing. Verse 8. First, he says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. The first thing he notices as he sends them this letter, the first thing that catches his attention is the faith of these believers. His mind is drawn there towards spiritual things. Paul is writing uh, somewhere between, uh, somewhere in the mid-50s A.D., and it's, so it's about 25 years or so since Jesus had died and was raised and sent the Spirit to his people. And it's really quite amazing, in those 25 years, and this is the reason Paul is so excited and so thrilled, because the gospel has spread to the ancient world. And is even penetrated into the very center, into the epicenter of the great Roman Empire. It's made it all the way to Rome. It's spread over this great, great city. And so Paul is thrilled, and he gives thanks to God for this. He gives thanks that the gospel is flourishing, that the gospel is, is conquering. This was his spiritual mindset. Steve Lawson puts it like this. As Paul viewed the church in Rome, he was impressed by their faith, not the facilities in which they met. They were probably meeting in common houses and catacombs. But Paul was not taken with their location, but rather their vibrant gospel witness, their passion to make Jesus Christ known. From the very beginning, one of the things that, that Paul and the apostles assessed when they talked about the greatness of a church the main attribute was whether that church was given a gospel witness to the world. What was the gospel going forth? Was it marked by a spiritual mindset? Were they shining like stars in the backdrop of a, of a dark world? It stands out to me. A couple of things stands out to me. 
and that we should note here that, that these believers in Rome were living in very dark times. Rome was not a Christian society by any stretch of the imagination. This was one of the most filthy, immoral, pagan cultures in the history of the world. We'll see a glimpse of that here in a week or two. Um, almost every kind of immorality was present from homosexuality, prostitution, all kinds of depravity that is going on. And yet, God had planted this church right here in the midst of that darkness. And He did so, so that the gospel would shine brightly against the backdrop of that dark world. This ought to be a great encouragement to us uh, we are living in dark days, amen? And the days are growing darker. And yet God often works the greatest to build His church when the circumstances are the most difficult. We should rejoice in this. We should rejoice because it's not about us, it's about Him. And we should celebrate when we see the gospel working in even difficult parts of the world and difficult places in the world, we should celebrate when we see the gospel working and spreading in our own community and in the world, and we need to commit ourselves to it just as Paul did, knowing that this gospel is, is powerful. I think the other thing that stands out to me about this is how did this happen? How did the, spread, the faith spread throughout the whole world? There, believe it or not, there wasn't Facebook in Rome during this time. I don't know how the gospel would ever went forth without social media. And yet it did, didn't it? It did. There weren't newspapers, perhaps, or radio, or television. I'm not saying any of those things are bad. I'm just saying that, that in this particular thing, the gospel is spreading throughout the Roman Empire without those things. How did this happen? How did it become known? It became known because they were proclaiming the faith. They were proclaiming the gospel. They believed the gospel. They lived the gospel. They shared the gospel. There wasn't magic here. There wasn't, this wasn't about some fancy marketing kind of scheme that looked all slick and nice and went out. No, they were just being faithful to witness, and the Lord magnified their witness. Again, Lloyd-Jones, a great quote. He says, a revival never needs to be advertised. It always advertises itself. You need to... Uh, you do not need to advertise the work of the Holy Spirit, he writes. It's, own, it's its own advertisement. Read the history of the church. When revival breaks out in a little group, it does not matter how small. The news spreads, curiosity is awakened, people come and say, What is this? Can we partake in this? Can, how can we get a hold of this? Man does not need to advertise it. It becomes known. It spreads throughout the world. Happened here. This is revival. This is Pentecost, he writes. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. And the news had spread like wildfire in the ancient world and its poor means of communication and its absence and lack of advertising media. And then Lloyd-Jones asked this question, isn't it time we begin to think in New Testament terms? Church. May the spread of the gospel become our spiritual focus as it was for Paul. 
We should desire that it would be said of us, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. The gospel that Paul believed and preached influenced his life. It was influencing the lives of these Roman believers. And the question is, is it influencing you? It should be our spiritual focus. Notice, secondly, Paul's strong desire. His strong desire, verse 9. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Strong desire. He has this strong desire to come to Rome, doesn't he? He wants to see them. And he keeps repeating this. He's, he's, he's almost anxious uh, uh, to, to see this. And we notice again that the reason is not so he can go to that really cool city called Rome and see all these wonderful buildings and things that are going on there. It's not about that, nor is he particularly interested in seeing famous personalities that he might encounter while he is there. No, he's anxious to see this group of Christians because he wants to encourage them in the faith. And again, Paul is revealing something about himself here, about him, his heart. And it's something that should be true of all of us, brothers and sisters. That once a man becomes a Christian, it becomes the dominating feature of his life. It, it, it affects his spiritual focus. It, expects, it, it affects his desires. All other interests in his life are judged by in light of this, in light of Christ. And his strong desire is to share the gospel to strengthen the believers here in Rome. The language that Paul uses is uh, interesting. Verse 10, he says, asking, he's talking about his praying, that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. That sounds a bit vague for an apostle to say that. Uh, and yet it's not, I don't think. I think it's a, a great warning to us uh, to never second guess the way God is going to answer our desires and our prayers. Sinclair Ferguson calls this a beautiful illustration of this principle. So Paul is expressing his longing, his heart, his desire to go to Rome to see what God has done, to share in it, to, by God's grace, advance it. He hopes to partner with the Romans. Remember, he wants to go to Spain, so he hopes that the church in Rome is going to be a partner to him and help send him out and support his mission to get the gospel to Spain. But in his prayer, notice he doesn't simply lay down the terms to the Lord. He just simply says, Lord, somehow, some, somehow by God's will, by any means, make this happen. As you know, to this point, the Lord had not let this happen. Or you may not know that, but it hasn't. He wrote this letter to them. And, and, there, and there's really there's something great about that, because I think if Paul had gotten to Rome before this, we would not have the book of Romans in our Bibles. Which is 
a great reminder to us when we desire to do something faithful for the Lord and we are frustrated because it is not happening to remember that we have a trustworthy God. We can rest in His wisdom and timing. And when He prevents us from going one way or going this way or, or granting us some desire that we keep praying uh, to Him, it's quite possibly God is preparing and using us for uh, blessings in, in other ways. I think another uh, thing this reminds us of is that we know how God answered Paul. Those of you who have been coming on Wednesday nights uh, in our Bible study of Acts, you know uh, very, very much so how God answered this prayer request of Paul to get to Rome. It's actually found in just a page over on Acts 28. If you want to read it, it's a great Sunday afternoon read. Um, you may want to back up to maybe 26 or 27 but uh, Paul here praying, Lord, somehow get me to Rome. And quite, uh, God took him to uh, Rome, quite literally. He took him as a prisoner to Rome. And, and so sometimes when we ask for things in accordance with God's will, he gives them in ways that we don't understand or ways that we'd never picked for ourselves, but in ways that are marvelous to our God. I wonder what the Roman believers thought when they saw Paul coming to them in chains. I wonder if they thought, man, this guy really is serious. <laughs> Any means possible, I'll get to Rome. And here he comes as a prisoner, led by Roman soldiers. This guy really meant it, somehow by God's will that I may at last succeed in coming to you. And, and he, he prays, and he comes in chains. I think about the uh, first chapter in Philippians, which Paul, uh, as you know, wrote from jail, probably jail, while he was in Rome. He's writing to the Philippians who are discouraged, and they're discouraged with the fact that Paul is in chains, that he's uh, in jail, and they're thinking to themselves perhaps that you know wow this is what happens when you serve the lord you're going to get yourself in chains and they're asking what's going to happen to us if we're faithful like paul and you remember what he wrote to them philippians chapter 1 verse 12 he says i want you to know brothers that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel talking about his imprisonment so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for christ and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. When you pray, and when you desire to do something for God with an attitude of uh, God somehow, by any means possible, then be ready to accept how God answers that prayer. And know that God will be glorified. In your life. Paul went on in Philippians to candidly acknowledge that he'd rather die than to be with Christ. He said, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that's far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And so convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again.
all of this, this picture of all these things going on in the background that we, we perhaps haven't, haven't thought of, but, but it's such a complicated a complicated life, a complicated mess of all of these dynamics. And yet Paul says that if I remain, then it's for your progress and joy. This was Paul's spiritual mindset. This was his deepest desire. It was to share the gospel, to strengthen the faith of others. And church, this kind of heart and, and what we see here in, in Paul in all of this, this is not just for ministers. This is not just for apostles. This is for moms. This is for dads. This is for boys and girls at school and dads and offices and factories or wherever and, and grandparents. This is for us. This is how we should be impacted by these things. Our great desire to be, should be to serve God for His glory, to serve Him in our families, in our workplaces, in our schools. May we have this strong desire. Paul had, which uh, leads us third, and certainly related to this, but Paul's submissive will, his submissive will. A glimpse of this in verse 10 when he said, asking that somehow by God's will I may now last exceed, succeed in coming to you. But then notice what he says in verse 13. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. So it's worth taking just a couple of minutes here uh, to, to think about this. Paul doesn't give us uh, the explanation exactly as to why he was hindered, it says, or prevented from coming. Um, I think there's some things that he shares with us in the text and some things that we can uh, uh, think about. In fact, uh, Mon James Montgomery Boyce uh, offers some things uh, for us to think about when prayers sometimes go unanswered or you're hindered, prevented. First, unanswered prayer uh, may be God's way of teaching us that we are not as necessary to the work as we think that we are. And what we are praying. Now that seems to be true here in Romans to me. Because uh, after all, we already know in verse 8, it says that their faith is spreading throughout the world. I mean, there's one sense, what do, what do you need Paul for? <laughs> I mean, the, things are going pretty well. And it's not that Paul couldn't have been a help. Only to, say, only to say this, I think, and to remind ourselves of this, that none of us are indispensable in the work of God. Don't think too highly of yourself. Oh, you have this great desire. That's wonderful. Pray. Keep praying. Again, but, but God was perfectly able to bless this church without Paul. He's perfectly able to do what needs to be done without you and, and me. And I'm thankful, again, that God used Paul to write this letter and eventually go to Rome in order to spread the gospel. But church, let's not forget our, our place and God's place. Amen? I think another reason uh, here our prayers might go unanswered, uh, and, and this is my implication, but that God may have other work for us to do before then. That seems to be true as well when he says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers. I often intended to come to you, uh, but I've been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I mean, the, the, the reason 
Potentially, it seems here that Paul had been hindered in going to Rome was because God was not finished with him yet in his ministry among the people of Asia and Greece where he was at when he wrote this letter. So if you're praying for something and God is not answering your request with a yes, then, then ask, how can I be faithful right here, God? At this time and place that you've put me. A uh, third reason our prayers may go unanswered for a time is that there may be a spiritual warfare uh, for which we are unaware. And we see only glimpses of this in the, in, throughout Scripture. One example, again, of 2 Corinthians 9, Paul talks about this thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment him. And you remember he prayed uh, multiple times for God to remove the thorn, and God said, my grace is sufficient for you. Sometimes battles, uh, spiritual battles, uh, we, I mean, we can't see them. They're, they're behind the scenes. There's things happening. We can't see what's going on. We know they exist because God's Word tells us they exist. But here is, is the answer. We have to keep submitting ourselves to God. And to me, this is what I see behind all of this, what's driving Paul's life. It's really the key. Whatever the reason for those hindrances, unanswered prayers, and whether those reasons are apparent or not, our response needs to be like Paul, who submitted himself willingly to God. Verse 9 for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of his Son. What a great verse. More literally, from my whole being, whom I serve with my whole being. This spiritual focus that Paul had led him to serve God with the depth of his being, and he sought God in consistent and fervent prayer, and God enabled him to serve Jesus wholeheartedly. Every Christian needs to have that same submissive will exhibited by Paul, regardless of our own desires. We must be humbly yielding to the the overruling providence of God. I think about times, and I bet you can too. You've been a Christian for a while. You've thought about times in your life when you tried to uh, proverbially open doors that God kept shut. And in thinking back on those things, usually with time, you see that God knew far better than I ever did in that moment about what was best for my life. Surely everybody uh, who believers for a while can give testimonies like this, but the point is to learn to submit to His sovereignty in our lives. It's good to have a spiritual focus. It's good to have strong desires to serve the Lord, but we also need to have this submissive will. Your will, God. One more quote from Lloyd-Jones. Therefore, this Christian life is full of romance and full of glorious surprises, prohibitions, restraints, and hindrances. And then suddenly, and in a most unexpected manner, the thing we have wished for and prayed for submissively is granted to us in God's time and in God's way. There's only one place of safety. There's only one place of peace. There's only one place of perpetual joy. And we find it when we are entirely submitted in all things to the will of God. Let's make that our goal, church. So what about you today? Original question. Is your doctrine informing 
your behavior? Are you looking to the Bible, to God's Word, to help inform your actions? Or are there some things out of balance right now? Or are you spiritually focused? Is it the strong desire of your heart to see the faith spread, fellow Christians to grow? Is this the thing that drives your life? Or is today just one hour that you've tokenly given God so that you can go back to you and your kingdom? Are you submitting yourself to God? Father, thank you for your word today, and I pray, Lord, that you would do your work in us, have your perfect way in our lives as we submit ourselves to you. Um, help us now as we respond. We would respond with, with faith, uh, renewed excitement and devotion, Lord, to you your plan, your will for our lives. And use us, Lord. Use us. May it, may it be said of us, as Paul said of the Romans, that our faith is spreading, the testimony of our faith spreading to the ends of the world. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm Pastor Jason Clark. And if you don't have a church home, I want to personally invite you to First Baptist Mount Washington. We're striving to be word-centered, gospel-focused, and community-minded. Learn more about our church and our meeting times from our website, fbcmw.org.